it simple, keep it small, and there will be enough for all. Take a little, give a lot. Thank Mother Earth and Father Sky for what you've got. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Green Woman Podcast. I am your host, Reggie Weber, and a member of the Green Women Leadership Training Initiative. As green women, we are concerned about self-care practices, women's issues, healthy living, nature healing, the environment and climate change, social justice, and living in harmony with Mother Earth. Today, I have the great pleasure of interviewing one of our green women leaders, Melissa Choir. She is an artist, soul collage co coach, a master gardener, and she creates eco-friendly habitats that include pollinator gardens. So Melissa, I've I have tried planting um, a few wildflowers that we've kind of just thrown in the ground to attract those pollinators, but I would sure love to hear more with your master gardener expertise on what is a pollinator garden and why do we need them? Well, Reggie, thank you. And I'm honored to be here and have a few minutes to talk to you about pollinator gardens in particular. Um, pollinator gardens are sometimes called pollinator victory gardens. Mm -hmm. And the reminiscent of the victory gardens that were planted during World War I and World War II to help make up for the human food shortages. Pollinator gardens are designed and planted for pollinators, which include bees, butterflies, wasps, bats, flies, hummingbirds, and moths, and some beetles. And they make up for the food shortages for these insects and animals, yes. Mm -hmm. Why do we need them? Well, the simple truth is we can't live without them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they say in nature and in life, we are all Absolutely. interconnected. Well, we all like to eat. We all like clean air. Um, and we also want to help the economy. Um, mm -hmm. One out of every three bites of food that we eat exists because of the efforts of pollinators, including the many fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds. Pollinators are not only necessary for our own food, but for the food, um, the food and habitat of other animals. Right. Um, healthy ecosystems depend on pollinators. At least 75% of all flowering plants on earth are pollinated by insects and animals. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Isn't that just it is. amazing? Uh, this amounts to more than um, 1,200 food crops and about 180 different types of plants. Wow. These plants, of course, help stabilize our soils, 
clean our air, supply oxygen, and support wildlife. And then as far as the economy goes, in the United States alone, pollination by honeybees has contributed to over 19 billion of crop production in past years. Wow. Um, while pollination by other insect pollinators contribute, contributed to nearly $10 billion of crop production. So that's just an example. And those stats may have changed since I got those, but um, mm -hmm. populations of bees and other pollinators we know are declining around the world. And just learning about some of the challenges they're facing really gives us an idea of how we can help. And so can I ask if they're um, declining, what's making them decline? Well, pollinator decline is attributed primarily to loss of habitat and to the use of pesticides. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. Uh, for bees, the aurora mite and colony collapse disorder are also causes of decline. Um, wow. Habitat losses do not only to the conversion of prairie and meadow to cropland, but also to the use mm -hmm. of herbicides that eradicate wildflowers in the agricultural and ornamental landscape. Um, for instance, Roundup-ready crops. Those are crops that are genetically mm -hmm. engineered to be resistant to Roundup, um, which is a non-selective herbicide that's produced by Montesano. Well, these are our particular concerns. Weeds such as milkweed that once grew in and adjacent to crops and that provided food and habitat for bees and butterflies are are now eradicated by broadcast spraying. Yeah, that is so sad. And ultimately, it's yes. going to affect us. Also, a concern is that the neonicotinoids, which are systematic or systemic, excuse me, insecticides, are applied as seed coatings, um, as well as foliar sprays, and excuse me, by seed coatings. Um, resulting in bee exposure due to the dust drift during planting and to the residue in nectar and pollen. Uh, neonicotinoids are highly soluble in water, so that increases further concern. I know when I was doing just a little research before we got together, and, and in fact, I was looking at quotes, and there was a quote about a neonicotide, and mm -hmm. I thought, what is mm -hmm. that? <laughs> There's so much still to learn about how we live in this environment. Absolutely. You know, it's not just about hum it's not just about yes. humans. Absolutely. And we've got to get over that. Well, there's other, you know, reasons that we need to um look at saving the pollinators. Um, you know, pollinators require specific plants which provide nutrition and habitat to the larvae um, and adult pollinators. Native plants or wildflowers needed by pollinators may be outcompeted by non-native species. 
So planting mm. native is of utmost important importance. Non-native plants may attract pollinators away from native species that are more nutritious and better food sources. Oh. And non-native <laughs> species of pollinators may compete with native pollinators for pollen and nectar. So as much as I would love to give you a, a, a list of plants to plant in your pollinator garden, you know, that is just um, location specific. And you have to become familiar with what plants are natives and what plants are not. Unfortunately, many of our nurseries um, and some of our home improvement stores sell non-native species, which are very beautiful, but can contribute to habitat loss. Um, Also, many of them use insecticides and sprays. So we have to be very careful. Um, And you mentioned something about wildflower garden having a wildflower garden is really not the same as having a pollinator garden. Although we love our wildflowers, um, wildflower seed packets may or may not contain um, native, native seeds that are, that is, that just are adapted to our local environment. So you want to, you also want to avoid planting hybrid plants, also known as cultivars. Hybrid varieties might be really pretty, but most do not produce much nectar and pollen for pollinators to eat. Mm-hmm. So that's some, yeah. That is so good to know. I did not know that. Um, I guess we just take it, you know, it's like it goes back down to money and, and products again and selling them. Uh, and we really, we're doing ourselves a disservice and Mother Earth and our um, our uh, genomes and all of that by not planting and taking the time to learn about what we need in our areas. That's so, that's so true. So I would imagine though, like pollution and that type two also contributes to this, not Absolutely. just... Absolutely. Um, climate change is becoming more and more of a problem. If, if that can be, I think it's a big problem now. We right. um, certainly have to address it on and, as many levels as possible. Um, with climate change and plants... Um, Flowering plants may begin to occur farther north or at higher elevations Mm. as a response to warming temperatures and may become out of sync with pollinators. Um, Wow. The types and distribution of pollinators may change. Pollinators may change. Excuse me. I'm going to. The types and distribution of pollinators may change. Pollinators adapted to warmer temperatures may expand their northward range, displacing other pollinators. So, Uh, as you can see, (laughs) and then it's just a, it's a, it's a cascading effect, you know, and now we have fires. We have fires and, and yeah. yeah. And it's, it's all, all climate yeah, change. It's climate change and, um, you know, rethinking uh, what is beautiful. You know, lawns are considered green mm-hmm. deserts. Um, even the act of blowing leaves 
from your lawn, raking leaves can affect the habitats of pollinators. And um, many moths will curl up in the dried leaves and they overwinter there. So everything we do, adding any kind of chemical to our um, lawns, out of about 20,000 species of bees, uh, 70% of those, I think, are ground dwellers. So, wow. you know, these are bees that don't live in hives that are very important pollinators. So turning our soil, clipping, um, clipping back trees, you know, hummingbirds are very small and many times people will limb up their, their trees and um, use the hedge trimmers and stuff and they cut off right little hummingbird nest. So it all makes a difference and we really have to think wisely about the things that are important to us and how we, um, how we contribute to uh, the decline or how we create more habitats. Mm-hmm. For our pollinators. And that is so interesting because we know that the bugs in the ground and under the soil, which again kind of relates to this subject, but is another whole subject in and of itself of the biome diversity. And then that gets into our guts and all of mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, and how um, the soil is actually um, dying yeah. all over the world. I just saw something that said if we keep going at the rate we're going, mm-hmm. Within, we only have 60 years and all the soil in the whole world will be dead. And so you take that along with all our Mm -hmm. pollinators, we're not going to have any food. No, I, you know, I try to, I try to impress on people when we talk, when I talk about this and we hear it and I use the simple example is how would, how would you have a life without Mm. apples? Mm -hmm. And people go, what do you mean without apples? And then you tell them, well, that's how it starts with these pollinators. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, my God, Mm -hmm. they never think of that. Like, you just assume that apple tree is going to be there forever. (laughs) And everything else that we have. So how can we save these guys? Before I go to that, I would like to mention, too, just just how flowering plants you know, also contribute and have been um, so many environmental benefits. But to name a few, um, pollinators are key to the reproduction of wild plants. And flowering wild plants Mm. help to purify water. They prevent erosion. Uh, The water cycle Mm -hmm. depends on plants to return moisture to the atmosphere. So again, you know, we have got, this is essential to protecting our planet and essential to human existence. And we have to learn a different way of being in the world and, um, and really rethink and replan when we're thinking about a garden. I want to also want to talk just a little bit about bad bugs. You know, people, people worry oh, yeah, about, go ahead. Um, about, you know, a bad bug getting on their plant. But what I've found is that um, you need them all. There's a saying that says if Mm -hmm. something's not eating your garden, then it's not part of the ecosystem. So Mm. generally, a very diverse garden will help, um, you know, help your soil. It'll help the pollinators in the long run. And we have to learn to live with maybe not the most beautiful 
um, beautiful gardens in terms of what we're used to, those, you know, very well pruned and managed mm-hmm. gardens to rethinking, you know, by the, <laughs> by this time of year, my, my little garden is, um, which is always minimally managed um, and never mulched and sprayed or fertilized and rarely irrigated because planting natives also require less irrigation. And that's particularly um, of interest to people who live in drought prone climates. Um, I only mm-hmm. weed and cut back vegetation usually in the spring to allow as much plant material as possible to decompose and return to the soil. And my garden hosts pollinators and non-pollinators, probably natives and non-natives, good bugs, bad bugs, and boring bugs, by accepting a little untidiness in our gardens and landscapes and allowing plants to follow their natural life cycle of blooming, seeding, and eventually decaying we can provide a place on earth for insects to live and thrive. That is so, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That is so important. Um, I, the manicure gardens just really bother me to no end. And I think that people should just plant native plants and why you'd save yourself so much money and expense and save the, save the planet mm-hmm. by doing so. Like you said, with minimal intervention, you don't, just let it go that in nature you see a forest there isn't a tree planted two feet from this tree two Mm -hmm. feet from that tree and you just go down and why do we have to come in Mm -hmm. and upset the balance of nature right that's what we're doing well native trees are Mm -hmm. so important and I will give you an example um I have I, I purchased this home. This was my family home. I purchased from my parents back in 2003, and my mother just had to have a ginkgo tree. And of course, you know, we know the benefits of ginkgo, uh, and it is a beautiful, <laughs> yes. beautiful tree, uh, particularly in the fall, and drops you know gorgeous golden golden leaves. However, it is not host for any plant any. Um, pollinators. Uh, but I have uh, <laughs> a huge, maybe it's not unsightly, but it's a, uh, a tulip poplar that hosts several oh. a host, uh, tree for the yellow tiger swallowtail. And uh, oh. so, you know, such an important tree to have, and it's a native. It's been here for the longest so again, in thinking in terms of your plantings and, and all, and you know, natives can be a little more expensive than some of your um, more mm-hmm. ornamental varieties that are more common to see at the home improvement stores and some of the nurseries, but so very important <laughs> yes. to the environment. Right. That is, that is. So um, how can we help save these guys? Um, pollinators. Making sure you plant from seed that are organic. Okay. Um, don't rake your leaves. And I know in some places that have more fire-prone areas that that might be a problem. Mm-hmm. But where you can leave your leaves, um, make sure you are uh, planting your native flowers and providing the nectar. And you can also 
uh, provide other housing. They have little uh, bee colony, bee colonies now that are made out of little bamboo for the borer uh, bees. Yeah, really? I have uh, two outside right now, though I have plenty of wood for them to bore, but some really prefer this and they will um, just have just have one egg per, per little hole and they will overwinter there. Oh, wow. They actually pack it full of um, of a resin that the uh, that the young mm-hmm. will eat through or eat during the winter and then they'll hatch. Um, in the spring so you can uh, look online and google how to make a um, a butterfly feeder and provide some extra support for your butterflies until perhaps your you know your flowers get going Mm -hmm. um making sure you put out water for the bees you know putting a little um a little tray of um with some rocks and putting a real shallow water in because need, uh, bees and wasps and pollinators need water. And some of them are so small oh. that you know, if you have, have a bird bath, they could drown in that. Or, uh, so making sure there's plenty of water supply for them. Uh, and it can be as simple That's as... That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. It's as simple as even having pots. You know, you can do pots or window gardens of native plants. And... Um, so it mm-hmm. doesn't have to be anything extravagant. It just needs to be a collective effort. You know, as many of us as can and as possible, just being aware and making a collective effort to plant native and supply, you know, water, food, and a habitat for wildlife. I like that. And that's really so simple. It really is so simple. It really is so simple. Yeah. And just, it, you know, not... Living with nature, not not killing it. <laughs> I, I have I have yellow right. jackets outside that are in a hole, and they're just working uh, fearlessly <laughs> to get their you know, little babes ready for the winter. And um, you know, I remember my father; he used to wait till nighttime, and he would go out and put kerosene in the hole and set it on fire. Oh no! But yellow jackets too. <laughs> are very important pollinators and actually are very docile unless you step on them or unless you, you know, bother with their nest. I can, I walk out in right. my garden and they're all around me and they're not even slightly interested right. in taking a bite or giving me a little sting. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. Well, I know I asked you earlier today when we were, um, um, I was thinking about this, and you had given me um, a couple resources that I would like to put in the description of this podcast for people. Um, do you remember what they were? Uh, yes, <laughs> I remember that one. I know you gave me a couple books. Yeah. And so I would like you to one of those talk books about them a little would bit. Be Kim Ireman's book, The Pollinator Victory Garden. Mm. Um. She goes into how to save um, the creatures that feed our world. And another would be Mm -hmm. Protecting Pollinators by Jody Hilmer. Well, thank you for those. I'm going to post those on the description and so that people have some reference that they can um, have a couple things to start uh, getting themselves educated about pollinators in the gardens. Thank you, Reggie. 
And thank you for the opportunity to, excuse me, go ahead. No, I was just going to thank you um, for being, for being my guest. This is something I know that um, as a green woman and we've all have projects and this is a project that is more is so dear and dear to your heart. And um, I've watched you and, and over the summer and doing your show, seeing your gardens and they're just amazing. And uh, the talent you have uh, is so wonderful. I'm honored. <laughs> and I'm honored that you're here. So any last thoughts or ending it with the books? Is yes. Good? And thank you for your podcast and educating uh, folks as to our Green Woman leadership training and kind of what we do and um, just all the work that goes into making your podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, I want you to stay on if you have a few minutes while I end here with a couple quotes because they are quotes that I looked up on pollinators, <laughs> which I didn't know if there was any such a thing, but there is. So the first quote I have is, um, if the bee disappeared off the surface of the globe, then man would, only, would have only four years of life left. No more bees, no more pollination, no more plants, no more animals, and no more man. And that was by mm -hmm. Albert Einstein. Mm -hmm. Simply put, wow. The other, the other one is by a uh, naturalist icon of our past. And here it is. There are certain pursuits which, if not wholly poetic and true, do at least suggest a nobler and finer relation to nature than we know. The keeping of bees, mm -hmm. for instance. And that was by Henry David Thoreau. So until next time, be informed, stay healthy, live green, and in harmony with Mother Earth, our true mother. Keep it simple, keep it small, and there will be enough for all. Take a little, give a lot, thank Mother Earth and Father Sky for what you've got.